I'm Michael Tamlin, CEO of the global ebook store Rakuten Kobo. We have a regular procession of authors who visit the Kobo offices. While they're here, I get a chance to learn a bit about their careers, creative process, and their reading and writing lives. And hopefully, you will too. Welcome to Kobo in Conversation. I'm Michael Tamblin, CEO of Rakuten Kobo. My guest today is Maria Kumar. Maria is the Instagram source of South Asian survival wisdom, hate copy, as well as an artist and illustrator, and most recently, the Kobo Emerging Writers Prize winner for nonfiction for her book, Trust No Auntie. As with each of our guests, we'll ask her to tell us about three books, the book that had the biggest influence on her in childhood, the book that was most formative for her as a writer, and the books that were central to the writing of her current book. And along the way, fresh from her win at the Kobo Emerging Writers Prize celebration last night, we'll be talking about that book, Trust No Auntie. Until I read your book, I had no idea the extreme variety of aunties that are out there, or their nearly limitless power. Was there one quintessential auntie in your own life? I think it's a very complicated answer, but I'll try to sum it up. Aunties are basically, it's just a word to describe, you know, an older female presence in your life. So it could be somebody that's not necessarily blood related to you. It's just like an older, like an older lady. It's like a respectful term. Sometimes it's used to describe like a person who's old fashioned, but you get the idea. It's just to symbolize like an older way of thinking, which isn't necessarily bad or good it's just that's just how it is that's just how it's been but I don't think there's one auntie that's been prominent in my life I just know that all of these different personalities are something I have in myself and at the same time there's something that merits a survival guide that there should be a book out there that helps people to navigate the complexities of the aunties in their life yeah and sometimes you can be the auntie I mean the book starts off with the auntie in training you could come across a person that is your own age who is giving you all this advice that is rooted in patriarchy, which is part of what the book is about also. Take me back to when you were first getting interested in books and reading. What was the most formative book for you in your childhood? I didn't grow up, you know, learning the way other kids learn. My brother and I were very visual learners. So for us, it was mostly picture books. And I felt a little silly and I was really embarrassed growing up because I couldn't read, you know, Harry Potter novels or like the Lord of the Rings trilogy or Chronicles of Narnia or whatever. Like in school that we were given these assignments to read for English class, I could never finish them because I needed pictures. So for me, I immediately gravitated towards graphic novels, Spider-Man, you know, Batman, things like that. Even today, I'm reading the classic Carol Danvers, Miss Marvel from the 70s. But the one that I really liked reading when I was a kid was Watchmen. It was just the right amount of action, gore, drama. You know, it was philosophical. It was kind of dark for like a kid, but it was it was cool. It wasn't like other superhero graphic novels that had, you know, a really deep, not corny storyline that wasn't just here's a superhero. It made you understand that even superheroes are flawed people, but they're people. And so after that, how long before you started thinking, hey, I want to do one of these my own. I want to start drawing these too. I don't know when exactly because I had always been drawing since I was a like a baby. Were you a compulsive drawer, draw all the time? Yeah, like I would just draw when I moved to Canada in 2000. 
you know, I was introduced to all these cute teenage, like those little shows like Lizzie McGuire and like Student Body or whatever. And all those, you know, the person would go home and they would write in their diary, like, dear diary, this is what happened. I wasn't much of a writer, so I would draw all of these things and, you know, draw what would happen in my day. And I would draw it naturally in the form of a comic, just because that's how it's communicated, you know, generally. Tell me about hate copy. The craziest thing about artists and Instagram is that your whole development is kind of out there chronologically for people to see. So it was very cool for me to be able to go back to those first sketches that start showing up in like 2015 and then fast forward as you accelerated towards the style that we see in your art and that we uh, see in Trust No Auntie. So tell me about that relationship between you and hate copy and Instagram. It's so funny how hate copy even became a thing because I went to school for advertising and more specifically, I went to uh, specialized in copywriting, which is the most random thing I could have ever gone into. But I was blessed to do so because it taught me a lot about business and the business of creativity. That being said, I didn't want to be a copywriter. I wanted to be an artist. So hate copy is just short for I hate copywriting. (laughs) And so that's how it came to be. And when the artwork started taking off, I didn't have enough time to change my username. So it kind of stuck and it became almost like a Banksy or like, you know, like an artist name or people would just be like, oh, that's a hate copy. Oh, that's a hate copy piece. Oh, this looks like hate copy. And did that evolve next to your work as an artist or in parallel to your work as an artist? Or was it all just one of the same thing? It just kind of became the same thing. I mean, it actually didn't become anything. It just became public. I I had this username so my professors wouldn't find me online under my real name. Because sometimes I would just post things like, oh, my God, this class sucks. And I would like draw things on the whiteboard when they're not around and like take pictures of them and post them and then erase it when they come in. So I just it was just like a funny little jokey account that I made that kind of stuck with me. You are also a uh, fan of Chuck Klosterman. And tell me about what Chuck Klosterman means to you as a writer. It's funny because I'd never really considered, you know, writing to be like a fun thing to do until I read Sex, Drugs and Cocoa Puffs, just because I didn't think that you were allowed to write how you talk with him. Like you read any of his essays. It's like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm talking to this guy. Like, I feel like we're having a conversation just because these are the kind of things that like my friends would say jokingly, you know, in person. So that was kind of an eye opening thing for me. And it made reading much more fun for me and more digestible because I wasn't trying to decode like 10,000 things when I'm reading. And I'm like, this is just a guy saying stuff. And I'm cool with that. And he writes about great stuff. It's all the bad things that are so good for you. Yeah. And it's hilarious. Like, I've never understood why people would like be reading a book and just like laugh out loud. I'd be like, oh, my God, what a nerdy thing to do. And then I would catch myself laughing out loud at his random observations. And so what were the books that were central to the writing of your current book? What were you reading when you were putting that together? Well, you know, for those who haven't read the book or seen it, it's basically like a mishmash of everything. Like, I decided to shove as much of the things that I like in there as possible. There's illustrations, there's flowcharts, there's recipes. Like, why are there recipes in there? Who knows? I just like recipes. But it was just kind of, you know, when I was writing this, I got obsessed with the BuzzFeed Tasty channel on Facebook. Every night, or morning at 3 a.m., I would watch the BuzzFeed Tasty channel. And just for hours, I would just keep watching recipes until I pass out. So that was like one of the things that I really liked. 
I was reading Mindy Kaling's book because obviously it's hilarious, it's real, it's funny, and it's not funny in that like she's playing a character. She has a quirky personality, but it's not like a try-hard quirk. It's like, yeah, I find myself doing the same things, and this is how I would navigate a situation. And if I was ever placed into Hollywood or something like that, it's a very like relatable book. The relatability was something I got from Mindy's book, Why Not Me, and Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? I was also reading Communion by Bell Hooks, and it's such an interesting book because, one, it made me cry the first few chapters. And I had never had such an emotional response to a book before, especially, again, because I normally read picture books and comic books. It was really cool to read these ideas of feminism and ways of, you know, loving yourself and loving other women and sort of unlearning patriarchal ways. I think that was something that was so... It was really emotional for me to read, but it was also something that I wanted to put into my own book because I wanted, like, if there was a younger audience, if there was, you know, somebody that was reading this book that was younger, I wanted them to have an easily digestible piece of literature that was, you know, saying it wasn't as heavy. Like, it wouldn't make you, like, ball your eyes out and go, oh, my God, the reality of this world sucks. But, you know, it is something that's like you can go, oh, my God, isn't it funny how we still do this? Let's try to be better. And in amongst the humor, there are those points that you do want to make. You Mm -hmm. talk about independence. You talk about body image. You talk about women's empowerment. And were you just naturally able to walk that line between the lightness and the seriousness? Or did you sometimes find yourself having to push forward or pull back on that? I always say that, you know, my personality is formed by just being told no a lot. I am the way I am because people always told me not to do something. And I always questioned, well, why not? And when you grow up in a very, you know, I was supposed to be a very sheltered person, but I found ways to break out all the time. Not because of like a rebellion thing, but just because of curiosity. And you should be allowed to be curious. But it was just the way it was where, you know, they would say, oh, no, you can't join a sports team because girls don't play sports. Well, why? why don't girls play sports? I think you're wrong. So there's like these little things I would just kind of go against. But the book is a result of questioning all of these things and wondering, well, why can't women do this? Why can't girls do this? Why are we still talking about this? Why are we still sheltering women? Why aren't we sending more girls to school? Why aren't we teaching them the same things we teach boys? Stuff like that. Were you writing the book that you wished that you had in your hands when you were younger? Well, I was just writing all the things that I found funny about you know like just uh you know all the questions that i had that i kind of i found the answers to and all the things that i kind of ended up proving to the older generation that you well you were wrong about these things and now that i am an adult and i can tell you that you were wrong you know when you're a child you can get pushed around a lot but it is one of those things where you have to have a conversation with your family and trust noati is one of those things where it's a book about self-discovery it's a book about self-love But it's also a book about talking to the people that you do love and saying that, hey, you can be wrong sometimes and here's how we both can be better. And there's a lot of advice on how to come back at no. What's the right way to respond to no in this situation? Yeah. I mean, it's a funny, obviously, it's like a jokey way. I'm not going to like tell you to sabotage your family, but I'm very playful with my own family. Like I'm very playful with my mom. She said that she was going to write a book called Trust No Daughters as a rebuttal. I mean, we have fun, but it's also something that's serious. And that's just how I've learned to deal with serious topics. I just kind of ease it in, kind of make a little light remark about it, but then go, okay, well, it's actually pretty serious, so let's talk about it. Is there another book in the works? 
I've always been telling people that I really want to write a cookbook, but not like a typical cookbook. I want to write like a cookbook for the person that spends like a zillion dollars on Uber Eats, you know, like maybe make something that would be nourishing for you while you order that triple cheeseburger, you know, your doll recipe in Trust No Auntie, aside from just being a very useful recipe on its own, spoke to the immense amount of food that could be made with incredibly small amounts of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it was both a great looking recipe. And at the same time, it was, yeah, this is something that every student should know. Like every person on a limited budget should have access to this. Yeah. I mean, now that you have the Instant Pod, you can actually make that doll in two minutes, which I learned recently. You know, Indian food, they see food is poverty food. You know, you can make a lot with very little. And that's what I learned from my mother. I mean, she made four or five dishes. She managed to feed a family of four and overfeed a family of four, like on very, very little money. And so when I went to college, it was super easy for me to save my cash because I was just cooking Indian food. You have to write the cookbook. Yeah. The world needs this cookbook. Yeah. And now that you've finished Trust No Auntie, what advice would you give to someone else who was about to start writing their first book? I'm not even sure because I didn't even know I was going to ever write a book. I knew that there were so many things that I wanted to say and that I wanted to say to somebody and hope that there was somebody like me out there. And I think that social media, obviously, Instagram is a huge bonus for that because I found out that there is a community of young women and men that were going through the exact same thing as me or have gone through the exact same thing as me. And we're also wondering why or why not. But when the book opportunity came around, I was kind of like, well, let me just say the full story. Because on Instagram, you get little snippets, you get me painting, you get, you know, these little snapshots of our lives. But the book is a more insight into what my life was and how it was for me. And that was my truth. So, you know, if there's anybody else that's trying to write a book, write your truth. Or, you know, if you're writing a fiction book, then make it based into something real. Write your fake truth. Yes. Write your fake truth. Has your relationship to Instagram changed now that you've written a book? No. My relationship with Instagram and the internet has been, you know, like I understand that the internet moves on its own. You cannot control it and you can't do anything to stop it or, you know, you can't make something go viral or, you know, like that was just something that I knew because I grew up with it. I've always been, you know, very open with my Instagram and, you know, anything that's on there is me, which is good which I was never used to when I was working in like a corporate environment because I always had to have like the okay from a boss or some authority figure that was like making sure that I was in order. But now I'm kind of in control of my own sort of destiny. And that was the same thing with the book. I was in control of everything that I was writing. You know, that's just how it is. <laughs> how do you approach the care and feeding of 136,000 know, followers? Is that something that you think about when you wake up in the morning or is it just out there? I just think of it as like, 135,000 people just like hanging out <laughs> like it's not it's no pressure you know like it's it's people we all just kind of like have a conversation it's a very positive vibe on my page like it's fun it's jokes it's jokes I mean we're also talking about some serious stuff but we're talking about it in like a very open and friendly matter like don't bring your attitude here you know that kind of stuff I don't think it's that big of a deal really I don't think followers are that monumental they're not as like important as people think it's it's just a number i think what matters most is that if you're actually on there and producing the things that people that you know that you kind of want to share with the world and and people respond to it in whatever way it's a conversation that's more important you could have a million followers but if nobody's talking to you or talking about it or really caring about what you're doing then what's the point you know 
But to me, what's more important is when people actually talk to each other or talk to me on my posts because it lets me know that, you know, there's like other people out there that are like me. It's more of a community thing, more of a thing for belonging. And how does it feel to have won the Kobo Emerging Writers Prize? I was so surprised. I did not know. Oh, you saw. I did not know this was going to happen. And nobody was telling me. Had somebody told me, like maybe even given me a hint, I would have prepared like a speech. But my speech was like probably the worst thing I've ever said in public. But it was a genuine moment. (laughs) (laughs) It was a genuine moment. I'm not used to winning. I think that's probably what it is. I was a solid B plus student in school, aside from the arts. Well, and from, I mean, from a very competitive field, our judge, Jay Ingram, had the most amazing things to say about the book, and I loved it. It was definitely championed by people here uh, within the office. So congratulations on your win. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Kobo in Conversation, a podcast about books and the authors who write them. To discover the books you just heard about or to follow us, please visit www.kobo.com slash conversation. This podcast is produced at the Kobo Audiobook Studios here in Liberty Village in Toronto, Ontario, Canada.